0: All right, All right. we're about to begin our uh, Sunday school. If you haven't already, there are some handouts on that back chair there with uh, an outline of just some key scriptures and on the back a couple of key uh, terms that I think we're going to have some some good discussion about later today. So I I just want to encourage everybody, we'll have at least one mic runner, maybe two mic runners. Uh, but this is uh, just as a quick, have some interaction on this, because there's some real practical stuff on this that we want to go through. Uh, just as a quick overview, today we're going to be going on, uh, the subject for today is a topic that's we're going to actually be coming back to at the end of April. So we've got today, just for everybody so you know, next Sunday there is no Sunday school. So it's just regular church next Sunday, so if you come early, you're going to be Uh, lonely so uh, there's no Sunday school next week so just uh, uh, just come to for our worship time for Easter Sunday and then we'll get back into part of the Walking Worthy series for a couple weeks after that Sunday and then we'll come back to this topic uh, on uh, God's justice and man's justice uh, at that point so why don't you uh, if you would join me in prayer and then we'll get into our study here Dear Heavenly Father we thank you so much for your perfect justice, and for your perfect love, and your perfect mercy, for all of your perfections, Lord. What you've done at the cross, uh, just hearing this morning uh, as the worship team was was singing that song, at the cross, Lord, that's, that's where it all goes, and this is what we are so thankful for, and it's why we come and worship, because everything has been done. Your perfect justice has been it out and because of that, we are now free to come and worship and serve you and be seen as in you because of what happened at the cross, Lord. We thank you and we praise you for that. We ask you to open our minds and ears and hearts to, to hear your word as it's taught and preached today and sung today. And we just thank you for the privilege of coming together to gather and to worship you the one and only true God. So we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as believers, we are people of the word and we're called to know scripture and understand biblical doctrine. We're also called to live in accordance with God's revelation. So living in accordance with that, it's something called orthopraxy. It means practicing basically what's preached. That's the word for that. Uh, We've been studying what it means to walk worthy of, of our calling in Ephesians. And we're called to be uh, light in this dark world. So that means that we have to interact with this fallen and broken, broken world and this confused culture that we're in right now. There's some really practical things. How do we interact with such a confused and fallen culture that doesn't know the truth and is sometimes even hostile to the truth And even the idea that there is such a thing as objective truth. I mean, they're they're hostile to the concept that there could be such a thing as objective truth and that anybody could be certain that there's such a a thing as truth. And because of this, we need to be really clear about what the Bible teaches and then how that lines up or doesn't line up with the ideas and worldviews that are circulating all around us. You know, even as, as, even Christians can unknowingly adopt some of the vocabulary as well as thinking about the issues that culture you know what culture is bringing into us right now we hear some of those terms and we think well that would be a good thing and we, we sometimes adopt terms and ideas without realizing how that meshes with the Bible and God's truth all of these especially when it comes to the intersection of where society has to interact with each other So we're gonna spend some time this week discussing the idea of justice. God is a God of justice, Isaiah 30, 18 says, "'For the Lord is a God of justice. "'Blessed are all those who wait for him.'" And he's also the ultimate judge. In James 4, 12 it says, "'There is only one lawgiver and judge "'who is able to save and to destroy.'" So we want to make sure our thoughts are aligned with his and that we're proclaiming his truth against any false beliefs that surround us and they are permeating our culture today. Yeah, a couple of months ago, if I don't, hopefully most of you were able to attend some of that. A couple of months ago, our brother Jared uh, gave uh, one of the Sunday School topics on biblical justice and biblical love and today we're going to explore some additional facets of what God's justice means and that's what we're going to explore together and I, and I really hope you're ready, again, to make this a really interactive time because some of these are really where the rubber meets the road and you're gonna have to know, from a biblical standpoint, what, what should we believe and then how do, I, how do I share that in love with those who don't have the same worldview or, 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 and they're not Christians. Uh, in, in particular, um, with God's justice, we're, we're gonna contrast the Lord's justice Against some of the prevalent worldly ideas about justice, specifically so, the social justice movement. Just a quick show of hands. How many of you have heard of or encountered some things with the social justice movement? Does anybody know what the social justice movement is about? We got a few, few folks. Okay. And I'm curious too. Maybe we can get even some input here from. When, when you've encountered the social justice movement, I, I wanna hear what you're seeing and hearing when you hear the, the social justice movement. we would like to hear from some, some of you that already encountered that. What, what are you hearing or what do you know or what have you seen about the social justice movement that's out there? Does anybody share?
1: I think the premise is that uh, many are born with an inherent sense of superiority over other uh, nationalities, skin tones, and so that's what's fueling, I don't necessarily agree
0: with that, but that's what's fueling the movement. Yeah, and that's definitely a part of it, that, that some people have inherent inherently better wisdom or insight or, or should be put at a different level based on certain characteristics they have. That's part of the social justice movement. What else? What, what else do you know or have you heard about the social justice movement? From my end of things, just how it affects. Um, how it impacts churches and the mission of the church and really redefines, the can redefine what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. And So the gospel becomes more about social programs and equality rather than redemption through Christ and sin being the issue that needs to be overcome. Yeah, that's a big thing where it kind of replaces equality or certain uh, treatment of, of people above <laughs> salvation in Christ. That's a big distinction there. Hope you, hope you get that. Any other thoughts or ideas that you've encountered out there with people that have espoused this or that you've read about or seen on, uh, in the media somewhere about the social justice movement? Okay, so those, that's a good starting point. And, and those are some, definitely some aspects of this that we're gonna delve into a little bit because it's, it's all around us. I'm not going to, and I could, we could spend the entire time for actually this week and a couple of weeks going into the whole history of the social justice movement. Uh, But we wanna really make sure we're spending more of our time looking at how this is playing out in society today and and as Nick mentioned, and and especially in our churches, because that's probably one of the saddest things about this is how some Christians and some churches and even seminaries have unknowingly, and some knowingly espoused some of this thinking and, it, again, it doesn't mesh with, with Scripture on that. So, again, we're going to um, look at how that plays out. And, most importantly, we want to understand how our own thinking and reasoning can be influenced by some of these ideas. Uh, with that said, it, it's still important. I'm, again, this isn't going to be exhaustive, and I'm going to point you to some other resources if you'd like to delve into a little bit more about some of the history of where all this comes from. But with that said... I. I think it's really important that everybody understands that the foundations of this movement have their roots pretty firmly in Marxist and anti-Christian worldviews, flat out. And this is, uh, this is well-documented. And there are plenty of books, and it's not just from people who disagree with this saying this. You can read their own literature from people in this movement about where some of this comes from and see where they got their ideas. And it's not from God's word. It starts out with a different premise altogether. So I, 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 again, we're not throwing stones, we're not trying to just characterize all social justices. It's just the roots of some of that thinking are not rooted in the Bible. They come from, from another place, and that's what we're gonna discuss a little bit more. Um, because again, they openly show the basis of things like the social justice movement, liberation theology, and critical theory. Those all have the same roots. You probably at least heard of some of those other terms as well. Critical theory, because that's rampant now, and now it's become the pretty much the ethos of most most of our, our society now. But all of those have their same roots. As a matter of fact, really, I mean, we, the the social justice movement is really a, a rehashing of what used to be called liberation theology, you know, decades ago, where a lot of especially in in, in Central and and South America, there was a lot of churches, especially in the Catholic Church, where the whole theology was based more on what we could do uh, socially to get equality for people and not focusing on salvation of lost sinners. And this is just sort of a rehash of this, and again, all of these things have their same roots in the, again, the, the unbiblical worldview. And we have to understand that these ideas are ultimately in direct opposition uh, to the truth revealed in scripture. And they still found their way into many Christian seminaries and churches. The, The big thing that we need to understand too, because it's found its way into some of these Christian institutions, that it breeds disunity even amongst the body. Because some people are espousing these ideas and they just, they don't line up with scripture. But these are brothers and sisters, many of them, and they just don't understand how, well, what's wrong with this? This seems like a good thing. So one of the key things, I hope that everybody walks away from from our discussion today and when we get into some more more of this in in future weeks as well, is when we're having discussions with people about uh, some of these issues, it's crucial that we address the root of the thinking and not attack the people. Sharing the truth and love, you hear that from us a lot, Okay, but we, we need to share the truth in love and actually look at the ideas. We're trying to tear down strongholds, right? And every lofty thought that puts itself above Christ, we want to tear those down, not the people, because sometimes it's out of ignorance, sometimes it's in, because you know, they're in complete opposition, but sometimes they just don't know. And we need to make sure that we're lovingly addressing these people when it when it comes to that, because they just sometimes don't understand the ramifications of espousing certain beliefs and and. We don't know what their intentions are. And sometimes their intentions and motives are really good, as we're talking about. I mean, just think about the term, social justice. That sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? I mean, who would argue with social justice? So again, we don't wanna question people's motives. We need to get to the root of where they're getting these ideas from and make sure we can address how it does or doesn't doesn't line up. for example, uh, someone might witness, from a motive standpoint, someone might witness poor people being treated unjustly, and I'll use that word in quotes, unjustly by others. I want to see that those, that those people are treated with dignity and respect. I, I think most of us would probably agree that that's, that's a good thing, that people created in, in the image of God. Again, we've, we've gone through theology, we've gone through anthropology. We know the imago dei, that every human being has, and we would say, yes, we, all people should be treated with dignity. The, the issue, there's nothing wrong with that observation and their motivation to see that you know, corrected is, is good. The issue starts with the definition of justice, so that's why it's really important to define term, the justice, and then what standard we use for justice. We all have to come back to what standard, what ruler are we using to measure this room? It's got to be the right standard. And if our standard is not correct, then our remedies most likely will be wrong, and it won't help rectify the problem because we're just dealing with symptoms instead of the root cause. We're seeing some bad fruit. We're trying to take bad apples off the tree when it's the actual roots of the tree that are the real, the real problem. So we need to be, make sure we uh, understand and define what those things are and we understand what our, what our authority is on this. So before we begin, I, from a biblical standpoint, I wanna define what scripture says about some of these terms. Most importantly, let's start with justice. So in Psalms 106.3, it says, blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. So this makes it very, very clear that we should, as Christians, pursue justice and that there are blessings even for doing so. The key here is, is what standard are you used for determining justice. And in Psalms 9:7 it says, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. So, so justice is actually part of God's domain. That's part of his purview. This is, justice is part of what God is about. He sets the standard, and there's also consequences uh, were being just or unjust and as a matter of fact in psalm 37 28 it says for the lord loves justice he will not forsake his saints they are preserved forever but the children of the wicked will be cut off so if we're in the lord his justice preserves us if, but if we're outside the camp we can expect punishment we talked about that recently too i mean being in or out outside of christ if the Lord loves justice, we should obviously, we wanna honestly and earnestly pursue it also. And we will, we will look through a couple of the characteristics and that's what we wanna make sure we can, so we can spot it. It's really important to understand what the characteristics of true justice look like. So we can spot, okay, this is true. And if something, is, something else is claiming to be justice, but it doesn't line up with some of those characteristics, we can see, okay, counterfeit versus the, the real. That's really important that we can recognize that. Um, I, I wanna say at this point, too, um, that any, any worldview that doesn't have monotheism at its core is really gonna struggle with this whole concept of justice. Why do you think that is? If you're not monotheistic, why, why would you have a problem Determining what the, what, the, what the definition of justice is. You're source. a your, your source for truth. Because now you're basing it on, on humanity. <laughs> you're, you're basing it on man's wisdom. And that changes every day, every year, every week sometimes. It's always changing. So you're, you're source for that. You're going to struggle with this. And you're gonna. And unfortunately, we see it all around us. We see it in the media when people are talking about these things. No, it's got to be just. Well, then, a year later, well, that's no longer just. No, this is really where we need to be, and it just keeps moving. It's a moving target, and because of that, uh, you're, they're always going to struggle with that. So we're called to seek justice, and the basis for justice is found in Scripture. And uh, as I mentioned, we're going to look at a couple of the characteristics of that, but. Um, What we want to do is understand that if you don't have anything higher than humanity to base your worldview on, you're on shifting stand, and we want to base our thinking on the rock of God's word. So we appeal to the one true God and creator of the universe for accountability, first of all, and as Christians, um, we understand that the truth doesn't change with the latest fads, philosophies, and theories. And uh, he, God is our fixed point of reference. And if you've got a Bible in your hand, that is your fixed point of reference. You can trust in that. It doesn't change. It doesn't move. It doesn't sway with the times or what year it is or who's in, in power in politics or anything like that. It's solid. You can rely on it. That's what we base our, our, our hope and trust in. Uh, so we see what's happening before our, our eyes in many different ways. I, I, a quick example, okay, it used to be wrong to kill unborn babies in all, fifth, in all the states, and then we had a, a Supreme Court ruling that says, well, that's no longer the case, um, and now we have something where it's legal in some states to kill babies in the womb and not others. I mean, literally, states could be right next to each other and this group says, oh, it's okay to do that, and the people just across the state line say, no, you can't do that. Do you see how that, that it's, it's a moving target, and it, it, there's no even agreement on there because there's no fixed standard. We wanna try to make sure that we're aligning with that fixed sta- standard. Uh, <laughs> here's the other one that obviously I think everyone understands, gender, Used to always be understood for thousands of years as your sex at birth. That was not even in question. We've seen and just recently, now gender can be all these different things. It can be under it was binary. It used to be you're male or you're female. Now we have people that that only want to deny the binary nature of the sexes, but they're actively, actively trying to force others to pretend along with them that there are dozens and scores of different genders out there. That's human wisdom at work, folks, and it's all around us. That's why this is important, that we grasp what real justice is gonna be like, because the world system is gonna go all these squirrely ways, and and it changes all the time, and they keep adding (laughs) to, like, (laughs) binary becomes, 20, or 30, or 40, I've heard numbers that are over 100 of different types of genders that people believe that they can identify as a different gender now. That's crazy, and what's more crazy is they want us to pretend that they're not crazy in thinking that, and that we're the ones that are the bad people because we say, really, the emperor has no clothes here. And they just do not, they don't think that's right for us to, to claim that there is such a thing as truth. So I I think it's really clear that humanity is not fit to be the highest authority of truth and justice. So what does God's justice look like? Well, first of all, God's justice is perfect. When we studied God's attributes of perfection, obviously justice was one of those things that was perfectly done. And just as a quick aside, I, I mean, this is Palm Sunday. We celebrate Easter next week. You realize that's part of God's perfect justice? All of the sin of every one of us in this room and the entire world had to be paid for because God is perfectly just. You couldn't just say, okay, yeah, you're all forgiven. A penalty had to be paid because God is holy and perfectly just. We celebrate his justice and the perfection of his justice at this time of year, especially and as Christians all the time, hopefully. But again, God's justice is perfect. This is a great example from the book of Daniel, in Daniel 4, 37. Um, It says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So after seven years of punishment for his, For his arrogance if you know the story of nebuchadnezzar who basically was became like a wild animal out in the field eating grass out of the fields for seven years because of his arrogance and exalting himself when he when god allows him to come back to his senses this is this pagan king saying no he's perfectly right and perfectly just here's an example uh, again to hear that from from uh, king nebuchadnezzar That acknowledged God's judgment was perfect. Isaiah 33, 22 acknowledges uh, God's right justice. It says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, and and he will save us. We turn to him and what he's shown us in his word. So God's justice... Now here's one of the facets of God's justice that's really important for us to understand. God's justice is impartial, as we just read. Even the king, here's this powerful king, Nebuchadnezzar, they are also subject. All the kings of the world, for those of us that sometimes might start wringing your hands when we see what some of these leaders around the world are doing and bad things that they're doing, they weren't any worse than King Nebuchadnezzar, but you know what, all of those people will experience God's perfect justice. No one's getting away with any of this. Maybe they will for a while in this lifetime, but ultimately God's justice will prevail. And Deuteronomy 16, uh, 16 19 it says, you shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality. And, and Peter, the apostle Peter says this in Acts Acts ten thirty four. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, un- I understand that God shows no partiality, and Paul says basically the same thing in Galatians 2:6 uh, that that God doesn't show any partial partiality. Depending on your your version of, of scripture, you'll say that God is not a respecter of people; or that He shows no partiality. But that's throughout Scripture. We see clearly, again, from beginning to end, God doesn't show partiality there, and. Justice is not based on people's gender, age, skin color, socioeconomic condition, or their education. So we a lot of times people want to say, well, God is is no respecter of, of, of people and he's he's impartial, and they think it only cuts one way. It's like that means that you know these, these rich people shouldn't be given special privileges. Actually, that, that sword cuts in every single direction because It doesn't matter who you are, what you identify as, God's justice applies equally to everyone. And that's what we have to remember is that it's not just a one-way sword. Um, Whether someone's rich, poor, powerful, or somehow disadvantaged, they're all subject to the Lord's perfect justice. And this is really where social justice is at odds with the teaching of Scripture. It really doesn't have anything to do, first of all, that, that the name social justice, it doesn't really have anything to do with true justice. We mentioned the term sounds good. I mean, who could argue with social justice? It sounds good, but it's the term is redefined in these circles that are trying to impose this on people. When any group is excused from bad behavior because of their social status or proclaimed identity, whatever that is, uh, that's, that's what the Bible deter, uh, determines as injustice, if you're trying to give special status to somebody, period. So here's a question for discussion. From the Bible's perspective, uh, and I, I would like you to try and answer this from a, from a biblical perspective here, why is looting or vandalism or rioting wrong? From a, from a biblical perspective, why, is, why are any of those things wrong? Rioting, looting, vandalism, stealing other people's property. Why, why is that wrong? If you're a Christian and you have a biblical worldview, what from the Bible instructs us, instructs us that, that, that that's not okay? Oops. Hello, Christian? Christian. Testing. There we go.
1: <laughs> In the Ten Commandments, uh, loving your neighbor, do not steal.
0: You know it really offends quite a bit of them. If you're, if you're uh, of the mindset of a, if your worldview is biblical, and you are trying with the Lord's help to obey the commandments, it's wrong. Absolutely. I was going to go there. The Exodus 20 was obviously a very easy place to start for <laughs> how we know that that's wrong. Well,
1: uh, hello. Okay. So whether you're
0: a Christian or
1: not, the law applies to you as well.
0: Absolutely.
1: It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian. Right. You're still commanded of God to love your neighbor as yourself.
0: We're all under those same laws. I always use the (laughs) the description, regardless of whether we believe it or not, gravity affects us all. We're all subject to the laws of gravity, whether we believe it or like it or any of that other kind of stuff. Everyone's everyone's subject to it.
1: I would say also because as a Christian, we understand that God is sovereign And uh, whatever we receive, whether good or bad, is from him. And so we should appeal to him instead of attacking man for what happens.
0: Great point. Attacking man or blaming another human or group of humans for my situation. That's part of the issue. Why that that from a biblical standpoint, that just does does not hold up. Let's take it one step farther. I, I mean, but what if, you know, the people feel wrong or feel like they're they're being oppressed? Does and you, you kind of hit on it a little bit there, Brett. But what if you feel like you're you're being oppressed or, or unfairly treated? Does that excuse you and give you the right to go and do these other things to other people and other people's property? Kind of straightforward, right? And yet, unfortunately, that's what we see with the social justice movement. We see rioting and looting, if you think back to just a few years ago, 2020, some of the riots uh, in the courthouses back in Washington, D.C., and these people were actually encouraged to do the things that they were doing and destroying property and taking things away from other people because, well, if you're oppressed, you know, your experience shows that you're you're being oppressed and you're you're having a, a difficult time, you're disadvantaged, you're gonna have to do something against all these other people. Folks, it's not right. As Christians, we have a reason for believing that because we believe we have a standard, it's God's word. This is what is just and this is what is not just. But regardless of whether we believe it or not, everyone falls under that judgment. Was there another thought or two that somebody wanted to share there?
1: Hey, Craig, uh, there's a proverb that says like this, men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his soul when he is hungry, but if he shall be found, he shall pay sevenfold. In other words, we understand the looting and the, the... Riots and these things we understand those, but yet uh, God is saying that, um, and and so therefore we can kind of sort of as a human as a man you know we can kind of excuse them you know, well, you know they're hungry they're you know he stole to feed his family you know blah blah blah, but the reality is if he shall be found if he shall be caught he shall pay sevenfold, so that's just a reality that's also entered into the equation.
0: That's a great point. I hope you guys all heard that, okay? We can have compassion and we can have some understanding of what their motivation is, but it doesn't mean that it's right. Because still, it's still going to be judged by God's standard, not our understanding of, okay, wow, I understand how bad, you, how bad and how hopeless you might have felt to try and act that way, but it doesn't excuse it. And God says, even though that was their motivation for doing it, it doesn't make it right because it still affected someone else.
1: Um, For a biblical view of law breaking, let's say, um, the Bible tells us to honor the king Mm -hmm. and then to be subject to authority. And the authority does not bear the sword in vain and is to be a terror to the evildoer. Mm -hmm. So that is our motivation to do what is right, righteousness, so that you will be secure and not in terror that the authorities that God has established will be bearing the sword toward you. So um, that includes all of the rule of law in the land, of course, and we've already talked about that, but uh, you have no excuse mm-hmm. a, as a Christian to violate the law or dishonor the king.
0: Yeah, great point. And Ali, even if we're not doing it, we have no, no right to encourage others to do that either. Right? As a matter of fact, because as Christians, we know that they're still going to be responsible for it. So why would we say, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, you go ahead and go do that because you're in an underprivileged class somehow. That's not helping them. They're still going to face the judgment for that, right? So that's not helping them at all. The, um, you know. And so, so clearly, when any group is excused from bad behavior just because of their social status or proclaimed identity, it, it really, the Bible just does not have any place for that as being okay. And I think you guys covered that really, really well. Here's um, a couple of dictionary definitions might be helpful here for us as well. On a couple of terms. I have a couple of these, I think, on your handout. But uh, the first one I just want to tackle is the word Justice. This is just from the American Heritage Dictionary. It says, the quality of being just, fairness, the principle of moral rightness, decency, conformity to moral rightness in action or attitude or righteousness. So that's justice. And then uh, another important term there is oppression. Merriam-Webster defines this as, unjust or cruel exercise of authority or power something that oppresses especially in being an unjust or excessive exercise of power. And the last one I'll touch right now is just liberation. Uh, Liberation basically just is freedom from oppressive powers, systems and institutions deemed as unfair. So based on what you guys have just said and what I've just read here for definitions, (laughs) how can any of those those definitions be completely objective? How can any of these things of fair and just be objectively addressed? There has to be a standard, right? There has to be a standard. All of those things, there's dictionary definitions, you read those and they're these words that you're gonna have to imply meaning to And if you start implying your own definition and your own meaning to, it's gonna have something totally different. You on this side of the room might say, oh, that word just means anybody that does this. And you over here might say, oh, yeah, but justice really means do it. You can't have an agreement on these things, even by a dictionary, dictionary definition, without there being a standard for all that. So I think, hopefully you see the problem. Uh, Romans 2 makes it clear that nobody will escape God's true justice. We read about that just a couple of weeks ago in in the Sunday sermons. No one's going to escape God's true justice. But people on earth here, they're going to try to rationalize and make excuses for what is objectively wrong by God's standard. So I want to share so that when we're looking at this, not only when we're looking at other people, but maybe when we're looking in the mirror as well, that when these some of these terms of justice and fairness are used we need to be careful that they're not substitutes for envy and discontent okay so i mean this this is a little bit of a, a gut check sometimes for some of us to see hey are we sometimes falling into this i'm discontent with what i have or i'm envious of what somebody has so i should be i should be jealous about this or i should be coveting <laughs> what somebody else has We've got to be really careful about that. People don't think it's fair that some people uh, could gain more by hard work and diligence, so they think everyone should be given the same thing. What are some of the problems with that thinking? Let me, read, let me read that to you again. People don't think it's fair that some people could gain more by hard work and diligence. So they think that everyone should be given the same thing or the same amount. What are the problems with that thinking? Go ahead. Yeah, that was a good point. Go ahead. Say, say it again, so everybody can hear it, Derek. Oh, I just said it creates lethargy. Yeah, it creates lethargy and laziness first of all. What else? What, what? What are the other problems with having that worldview, of? They got more than me. They worked hard and did all this stuff, but they. What's that? Entitlement. Entitlement. Yeah. It, it's. But that's the mentality. I I want you to understand that when we're talking about. The social justice movement, or liberation theology, or critical theory—that is what the basis of all this is. That I'm entitled to have as much as you, because I want what you have too. Or, you know, you shouldn't have more than me because, you know, I'm, I'm a person. I, I, I deserve entitlement. I deserve as much as you do, regardless of whether I put in the work or anything for it. Yeah, go ahead.
1: And there's also the scripture that says if you don't work you don't eat so there's (laughs) principles of scripture that god knows he made us so he knows what we need and we need a drive we he he created us to you know work in the garden in eden so we have we need to work that's part of how he created us and so it's just that whole line of thinking just takes away like derek said it creates lethargy takes away incentive doesn't really give you purpose Mm -hmm. you know so then you have all this time to Sit there and think about how bad you have it. So it's just a domino effect.
0: Well said. Yeah, it's it's a downward spiral. I mean, work is not a, a bad thing. It was created before the fall, and as we studied when we were studying uh, biblical anthropology, work we're, we're made for work. And if we reject that, we've got other problems from that too. That that's one of the other points I wanted to make too. If we we reject the fact that we need to work for these things, we're we're we're, we're rejecting God's plan from the beginning of of, of how we are. Any other thoughts or, uh, again, great stuff. We got got another one here.
1: I'm starting to open my mouth now. (laughs) Anyway, um, (laughs) so I'm extremely entitled myself. I'm entitled to sit on the throne with a king and judge angels it's just that my entitlement hasn't occurred yet (laughs) there's a time
0: frame involved with our entitlement that's all I wanted to say (laughs) good point what we have to look forward to uh, is better than anything we could be entitled to here (laughs) very very true Uh, and again, I, I, was, I was really hoping you guys, are. I, I really wanted to have this be interactive. I really appreciate everybody sharing, too. I've got a few more minutes, but I wanted to give you a couple more uh, points for thought here. But this is what we need to do. We need to work out in our own minds okay, the reasons why we believe what we believe. And this is, I hope you're seeing some of the practicalities of how to think biblically through some of these, these issues here. Um, Obviously, again, as we just talked about, resentment and greed are relabeled as injustice, unfairness, and inequity. And that's just not true from a biblical standpoint. So on top of all of this, uh, the social justice movement promotes division by fomenting class warfare. Okay, and you need to be aware of that, that this isn't about ba- The reason that we're having this discussion as as a, as a Sunday school class, as believers coming together, is we have to understand that we face battles every single day. And this is a real battle. This is not some made-up thing that's just, okay, yeah, this, uh, you know, we're doing a little theological treatise on something. Or, No, this is practical because you will encounter these people thinking these thoughts every day in your school, in your work, in the marketplace, wherever you are. It's all around us. So how do we think rightly about all of this? And when we understand that this stuff even promotes disunity amongst the body, um, and everyone, because the whole thing about social social justice is everything is divided into two categories, oppressed and oppressors. So you're gonna fall into one of those two camps, and that's the basis, that's the foundation of that whole movement and you have to understand that so you can get to discussions when you're talking with somebody about do you really think that everybody's just oppressed there it, so everyone's labeled as part of one of these categories and there's different levels of oppression based on some terms like intersectionality which we'll get to in a second I'll give you but based on that there's different levels of oppression i, I mean this whole thinking is built it's one bad block on top of another so how many of have you heard of the term intersectionality? How many of you still have some confusion about the word intersectionality? Okay, a few. Okay, here's the Mer- Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition, and I'll try to add a little bit of color to this as well. So Merriam-Webster is trying to take in this way of thinking of social justice and critical theory and all this that's so pervasive right now. And so what they, they do by taking that, they say, okay, by that definition, it's the complex cumul- cumulative way in which the effects of multiple forms of discrimination, such as racism, sexism, and classism, combine, overlap, or intersect, especially in the experience of marginalized individuals or groups. So basically what this means is categories of people are perceived as op- are oppressed by those that are in power. Let me give you, I'll try to give you a, a really clear example. So there are different categories of oppressed people. So some would say, okay, certain uh, people of certain skin colors are going to be oppressed uh, or that women uh, are more oppressed than men or that the poor are more oppressed than the rich or that, um, what else can we add to that? Uh, the What's that? Uh, uneducated and and and, uh, and and transgender people are oppressed. So the person from a from a uh, intersectionality standpoint, the one that is the most oppressed would be the one that is is poor, transgender uh, of, of a certain skin tone, uh, maybe a certain age group or socio standard so you get five stars basically if you check all of those boxes for intersectionality whereas like, for instance, a woman, okay, you get you check one box, you get one star because you're at least a woman, you're oppressed by men, so you get one star. Um, but, and if you happen to be of, of a more Caucasian skin tone, uh, you get zero boxes checked, and you're always the oppressor, every time, literally, and there's no way to repent of it. That, I, I, I'm not exaggerating, folks, but that is the, that, that's the foundation of the social justice movement, oppressed versus oppressor. That's it. So when you understand that that's what it's getting at, and when you add to this the fact that if you happen to be one that's been able to check five boxes, then your thinking is actually of, of, you possess a purer perception of reality, and their thoughts and feelings and experiences shouldn't be questioned. Have you ever heard the term, this is my truth? Well, that's what it boils down to, this experiential thing about my truth. Well, you can't argue with my truth because you haven't lived my truth. It doesn't matter whether I've lived your truth. The Bible is truth. John 17, 17, sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth. Not what your experience is. Not what your feelings are. Have your feelings ever gotten you in trouble? <laughs> Has your intellect ever made a mistake? That's not what we base this on. The Bible's justice is God's justice shown to us, and it's not based on our sex, or ethnicity, or gender identity. And when we talk about being impartial, God is impartial. He's not looking at how many boxes you got to check to see whether your worldview is valid or not. He says, does your worldview align with the truth of what I have revealed to you? Period. And that's how we engage the culture from that standpoint we're going to get into some more details about that in coming weeks but i i hope that at least lays a little bit more of the foundation for why first of all this is a serious battle folks and we have to address it especially within the church and lovingly come alongside those in the church that have been sucked into this movement there's great there, there are some people that i have had a lot of respect for and learned from and we even taught from some of their materials that have now gone down this rabbit trail and gotten sucked into some of this critical theory and and social justice stuff, and saying that the gospel isn't even enough. Wow, that's wrong, folks. We have to understand that.
1: As I sit here and contemplate all the things you've had to say this morning, we are taught as Christians to base everything in light of eternity. And just like when we studied a few weeks ago Psalm 47, it's all going to be made right in the end. And bless his holy name, God is going to make it correct. So we can count on that. Amen. We can, and you can't take it to the bank anymore because the bank doesn't exist
0: anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but we can trust in God's economy, right? We can trust in God's economy and God's plan. And I, and I, again, I, I hope you're starting to see, I, I hope this has piqued your interest, and if you want some other resources, I, I'll point you to some other books and, and websites in the, in, the, in the coming weeks here on this, but why this is the exact op- opposite of a biblical definition of justice, and we're going to take a look at how some of the language and thinking, and I, I, I guarantee in even a group this size, that there are certain terms and words that we've we even say without really realizing, oh yeah, but that also means to this other group, that means something different than what I really believe as a Christian. So we've got to be careful on how we espouse those those things. You know, on the cross, Jesus did what the social justice movement cannot do. He accomplished perfect justice for us. And none of these other movements or theories can do that. Salvation was given to us uh, by... (laughs) by God, because he received our justice. What we deserved as justice, Jesus received. And that's what we're going to celebrate next week at Easter. So anyway, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your perfect justice. Lord, we, we have no way of working things out the way, in our own strength and our own thinking, the way that you have. But you've accomplished it, Lord. That's what we celebrate, Lord. We're we're here today overflowing with gratitude for what you've done. And Lord, we don't wring our hands when we see some of these crazy theories and philosophies out there uh, making some headway in areas. We know, as uh, our brother just shared a moment ago, that that you will make all things right, Lord. We, We know that you will set things ultimately right. And so we have that great hope And yet, Lord, you've called us here to be salt and light in this world where people are perishing because of the darkness that they're in and the confusion that they have in their minds and the lack of hope that they have because they are hoping in themselves and not on the finished work of Jesus Christ, Lord. So help us to point others to that finished work, to your perfect justice being revealed. Lord, we thank you for our time together today and prepare our hearts for our time of worship and and celebration and and the sermon today as well. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.